Today, I wanted to let you know about an upcoming free masterclass to heal anxiety. Now, this is especially for those of you who have tried many other programs or interventions and you feel like there's just something missing, like these treatments or therapies just keep missing the mark. Or for those of you who've been told that you just need to manage your anxiety and you know that this is utter BS because no one wants to just manage with disruptive anxiety forever. So this masterclass is sharing inside secrets of what it means to truly heal anxiety by understanding the three parts of anxiety and how these are causing problems. The link is in the show notes to register for free. See you there. Hey, you're listening to the Ease Anxiety Podcast. And in this episode, we are diving into part three of our anxiety reset. If you've missed the first two parts, what we've been looking at is the ingredient that's required to regain your confidence over anxiety, which is really to change your response to anxiety. In our last episode, we identified the four types of responses to anxiety. And in today's episode, we're going to look at what each response type needs to do to be able to move toward empowered acceptance of anxiety. Now, there was a quiz that you could take to identify your specific response type. The link is in the show notes if you haven't managed to do that yet or you're interested in doing it now. Otherwise, let's not wait another minute and dive into part three of our anxiety reset. Have you ever wondered why anxiety just won't budge? Like, what is it doing here anyway? Welcome to the Ease Anxiety Podcast. I'm Deanta Fuchs, a psychologist turned international anxiety coach, and I'm on a mission to share a new perspective on anxiety that puts you firmly back in control of your life so that anxiety no longer interrupts you. So grab your cuppa, get comfy, and listen in as we demystify, destigmatize, and deconstruct what you think you know about anxiety so that you can finally do what you have struggled with for so long. Ease anxiety for good. So when we are able to identify that what we're doing with our anxiety is the problem, then of course we can start addressing that problem. So there is a specific quiz that you can take to identify what your specific response type to anxiety is, whether it is anxious fixation, nervous control, shameful submission, or is it empowered acceptance? Because the three that I just mentioned are the ones that keep anxiety about anxiety going. And empowered acceptance is the one response type that stops the cycle. So today, we're going to look at exactly what each response type needs to do to begin moving towards empowered acceptance because we can all agree that if we had empowered acceptance of our anxiety if we could just address it feeling empowered feeling confident feeling unafraid of it then the vast majority of our experiences would be okay because our anxiety is only interrupting us because we're afraid of it as we said we're not afraid of being on an airplane we're not afraid of being in a car or in front of a presentation but what we're afraid of is being anxious when we're in those spaces. So what we're wanting to do is change that fear of anxiety to an empowered acceptance space. Now, depending on what your response type is, you're responding to anxiety in a particular way, and that's what's keeping the anxiety generated. 
So today, we're going to have a look at what you specifically need to do. Now, before we get into that, you might be thinking, but my anxiety is actually because of a medical condition, or my anxiety is genetic, hormonal, or my anxiety is a disorder. And so it's really hard to believe that all this anxiety that I'm experiencing is just because of the way I'm responding to it. Now, I will say that yes, Medical conditions do contribute to anxiety, for sure. If we have hypothyroidism, or if we have got POTS, or if we've got a head injury, it can contribute to anxiety. And absolutely, we know that there are genetic links. So if we've got family history of mental disorders or of anxiety, then we're more likely to have anxiety ourselves. So there are genetic links. We do know that hormones play a huge role. So for those of you who are perimenopausal, menopausal, or even just that time of the month, our anxiety gets increased. It does intensify, no doubt. And yes, we do know that deficiencies like B12 and magnesium and iron can cause and result in anxiety. But here's the thing. There are millions and millions of people on this planet and many of them have deficiencies or genetics or hormones and they are experiencing anxiety because of those things but they are not debilitated by that anxiety. That anxiety is not interrupting their lives. It's uncomfortable because nobody loves to feel anxious but they're able to get out and do things. They're not afraid of becoming anxious on an airplane, going traveling, hanging out with people in busy supermarkets. They're not afraid of that. Everyone, as we already know, experiences emotional responses such as anxiety, but not everybody becomes debilitated by it. So there is something else that's additional to the hormones, the deficiencies, the head injuries, the, the medical conditions, the genetics. There is something on top of that that causes the anxiety to become interrupting and debilitating. Now many of you might say, yes, but that's because I have a disorder. It's an anxiety disorder and that's what it is. It's not just my response to anxiety. I actually have a bona fide disorder. And so let's just consider just for a minute that you have what we might call generalized anxiety disorder, or maybe you have health anxiety disorder, or panic disorder, or social anxiety, whatever label it is that you'd like to put on yourself. What I'd like you to understand about diagnoses, and I don't think many people do get this, I'm a clinical psychologist, so I diagnose people too. I put it in inverted commas because I don't like to diagnose, but we all use what we call the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Illnesses. And that Bible of diagnoses lays out the criteria that are necessary to give somebody a diagnosis. You would be flawed if you saw what the criteria was to be diagnosed with any one of these anxiety disorders. It's really just a descriptive book. So the criteria, for example, for generalized anxiety is that you have to have anxiety, persistent worry, it has to disrupt your sleep, maybe you're feeling a bit emotionally charged, so basically all it's doing is describing what it feels like to have anxiety. And you know, with every one of the disorders, it's just a different flavor. So if it's generalized, it means it's a pervasive worry about all the things. If it's health anxiety, it's worry about health. If it's panic disorder, you're having many panic attacks. Agoraphobia is you're afraid to leave the house. Social anxiety means that we're anxious 
in social situations. Those are the places where it happens. But technically, because we all feel anxiety, if we were to go by those criteria alone, almost everybody in the world could be diagnosed with a disorder of anxiety. The one criteria that makes you fall into the disorder range versus staying in the ordinary space is that this one criteria that says it disrupts your occupational and social functioning. That's it. That one piece makes it a disorder. Okay. Now, I'd like us to consider it isn't the symptom or the feeling of anxiety that's disrupting you. It is your fear of it that disrupts you. Which is why some people, myself included, can have significant levels of anxiety and still go out and work. You'll be surprised to know that some days I have heart palpitations through the roof because of my anxiety and I still show up on my coaching calls, I make videos for TikTok, I'm still doing my day, I parent my kids, and all along that I have my heart palpitations and my anxiety churning in my stomach. That's because I'm not afraid of it. So my anxiety, which could be disrupting someone else's social and occupational functioning, does not interrupt mine, and I do not have a disorder, but they would be classed with one, primarily because it's interrupting their functioning. But you can see, and I can see, that it is the fear of the experience that becomes the thing that's disruptive. We could say that having a disorder is actually the same as having anxiety about anxiety in whatever flavor you're experiencing that, whether it be generalized or health or social or panic attacks. The thing that is debilitating you or interrupting your life isn't the hormones, it's not your genetics, it's not the deficiency, it's not the diagnosis of a disorder, but it is the anxiety that you feel about the anxiety. That is what stops you being able to live your life in the way that you'd like to. That's the thing that interrupts you. That is why I have entire programs dedicated to shifting the response to anxiety. So, if you are ready to let go of the idea that your anxiety is because of hormones and deficiencies or disorders and that's why it's stuck, then I'm going to show you how you can go about stopping anxiety about anxiety. Hands up those of you who landed up with anxious fixation as your key response style to anxiety. First of all, I will say, if you've got anxious fixation, you're definitely not alone. It is also one of the most common response styles to anxiety, particularly if you have very intense symptoms. So the vast majority of people who are struggling with stuck anxiety will have some level of anxious fixation. But you would agree that we actually really need to stop all this checking in and this fixating on our anxiety and our symptoms. because. You are not permitting yourself to let go of anxiety. When you keep bringing it into your awareness, when you keep pulling it into your space to find out how it is that you're feeling, what is it doing to you, you are continually generating an anxious response because you're aware of it. Because when you see it, then you're also saying, oh my gosh, I'm anxious. Why am I anxious? It's not going away. I'm always going to be like this. Those thoughts generate more anxiety. But what's more and even more painful is that even in your moments where you're feeling a little less anxious and potentially that anxiety could be subsiding and could have gone away, 
in that moment, because you're insistent on checking, you check, you see, and you bring it back again. So it can never go if you keep checking. So how are we with anxious fixation going to take our eye off of that anxiety? I know a large part of this is the belief that if we let it go, it will just get worse. So you have to trust me, this is something that I teach in my programs and I show you how it works. Anxiety is a natural response and all responses naturally subside. You actually don't need to do anything with them. Everything in the world comes in waves, everything. There's nothing that stays at one level all the time. It always subsides and may come back again. We have waves, we have light waves, sound waves, we have seasons, we have moon phases, you name it. It all comes and goes, your emotions are no different. So. If we could just let it be, it would naturally subside. I guarantee it, but we don't let it go, so it can't naturally subside. Now, many people think, okay, well, I'll do distraction techniques. This is what we're gonna do to take our eye off the anxiety. The problem is, if you're doing the, the distraction technique to get rid of the anxiety, then you're still keeping the anxiety in the back of your mind because you're wanting to see whether your distraction technique is working. So it cancels itself out. So the other way that I want you to think of this is consider that you have this really loud construction happening outside your house. It's really loud and it's really intrusive because you can't really focus on your book or your TV show or your work because it's super loud. And the more you focus on how loud it is, the more intrusive it feels. Instead, when you start to just shut your window, the more that sound kind of drowns out into the background. It never goes away. It's still there, but it's not so in your face because you've just accepted that it's happening and you're now gonna focus on whatever else you're doing. So that is the process by which you, with anxious fixation, start to take your eye off of anxiety. This is what my husband did as well. Now, how many of you had nervous control as your response type? It's not as common as anxious fixation. Maybe you'll resonate with it even if anxious fixation was your primary response method. Nervous control is what do we do with the anxiety? We're trying to control it and we're throwing every strategy that we can get our hands on at it because we're wanting it to go away. Now, first off, if you've got nervous control as your response type, I'm just gonna take my hat off to you because your tenacity and your perseverance in trying to find ways to help yourself is incredible. It's incredible. But it is also a very good example of how the very thing that we do to cope with anxiety actually creates more of the problem. And it is why I urge people all over the place to just get some support and get some guidance, get some help, whether it's with a therapist or a self-help book, I don't care what it is, just find the information because often our doing it by ourselves is the thing that causes the problem. And particularly with nervous control, although you're doing all the right things, and the people that I work with, honestly, I take my hat off to them. They do all the exercise, they're religiously attempting their meditations, they've cut out everything that's bad for them in terms of nutrition, so no stimulants, no gluten, no wheat, no dairy even. They do all the strategies. They get taught about legs up on the wall. They do that every night. They do their breathing. They're doing it all. But they're so busy fretting about getting it done that that poor little nervous system just never gets a chance to rest. It's totally strung out trying to make sure that all of these strategies and interventions are being put in place in the right way. It's exhausting. And so if you're someone with nervous control, I'm pretty sure that you can commiserate 
with how it feels devastating to be putting all the right things in place and yet nothing works to help you feel better. And I'm telling you, it's primarily because your central nervous system is so strung out. So we need to stop fighting the anxiety. For nervous control in particular, we really need to learn to just accept, just let it be. But it's the hardest thing to do because the biggest thing is that you feel like you can't cope. There is this belief that you cannot cope with things if they're falling apart or if they don't go according to plan or if you are not doing well, you will not cope with that. And so with all these things that we don't have in our control, what nervous control personality types tend to do is they try to control as much of their lives as they can. So they start worrying and doing more because the worrying and the doing is actually a mechanism of coping. It's how they prep for the things that are out of their control so that they're okay when those things get out of control. Does that make sense? And what's incredible is that the brain learns on a rewards-based system. So anytime you do something that brings even a marginal amount of relief, the brain stores that as a habit to do next time. So you don't even have to think about doing it again. I love to use the example of coffee and, and chocolate at 2 p.m. Right? So I don't know if you get there, but at 2 o'clock I get this tired slump. And then I made once the fatal error of grabbing a chocolate and a coffee at 2. The next day came along, and I don't even think I was that tired, but two o'clock rolled around and I immediately was like, oh, coffee, chocolate, I didn't even think about it. Just grab the coffee and the chocolate. And before I knew it, it was weeks of every day, coffee and chocolate at two. But what had happened was, my brain recognized that this had helped my exhaustion, and so it stored it as a habit that I didn't have to think of doing again. I could just automatically do it. What my brain did not recognize was that at five o'clock, when the sugar and the caffeine dumped me, I felt awful. So now what was created was this repercussion down the line. It, the coping mechanism that I was using was actually not serving me. Maybe temporarily, but not in the long term. But the brain kept wanting to do it. Now this is what we do with worry. We feel like we don't have control. We feel like the outcome is something we don't want. We are desperate to try and control what happens. So we begin to worry. Because if you worry, then you're doing something, right? Like you're preparing yourself mentally at the very least. And so it brings a marginal sense of more control and the brain then stores that as your coping mechanism. So now anytime something feels slightly uncertain, your brain immediately triggers into, well, let me worry about that. Come on, let's worry. What if, what if, what if? And off we go on our anxiety spirals. What lands up happening is now down the line, we're just creating more anxiety with all of that worry and all of that need to control and all of that doing and fighting. So how did I get out of my coffee and chocolate mission? Well, all I did was at five o'clock, I started to recognize how crap I felt and I would tell myself, well, this is because the, the coffee and chocolate that you had earlier. And I did that multiple times throughout the week until eventually it came to two o'clock and I wanted to go and get coffee and chocolate and I immediately was like, oh, I don't know. I really don't feel like feeling crap at five. I don't want to. And so then I stopped because my brain finally recognized that this wasn't actually helping. It was not a reward. So this is how I want you with nervous control to start addressing the feeling. We've got to recognize that everything that we're doing is not helping me. So when you're feeling exhausted, you've got to say to yourself, I'm doing too much. I'm trying too hard. 
this is just too much. Can I just let it be? Can I be with what is? The tactic for those with nervous control, the change in response is instead of controlling and doing more and worrying, we're just going to go, it is what it is. I'm just going to let it be. Let that be your mantra that you just say over and over again. So we've got anxious fixation is trying to allow the anxiety to just be present with us without consistently looking at it. Your tactic is to think of it like the construction zone outside. How can you tune it out and continue focusing on what's going on in your life? For nervous control, we have the mantra, it is what it is, I'm just going to let it be. And we're going to try and focus in on how much more of a reward that brings rather than this busyness and how much that's creating. Now, shameful submission is really the space that we go into when we're feeling ashamed of our anxiety and we're submitting to the thoughts that we're telling ourselves about our anxiety and about ourselves. The biggest thing that we need in the space is self-compassion. Now you're going to notice as I talk about these, there are elements of each response type that actually applies to us all, right? They're not just for that response type. They're the things that we all have to do anyway. But if you're in a particular response type, this is the first thing I want you to focus on. Most people who have shameful submission have come from challenging situations in childhood. And so the thought processes that are happening and the mean things that anxiety is saying and the belief that you have around it is really connected to core beliefs, deeper core beliefs. But let's just face it, at the end of it, you have become your own worst enemy and your own worst critic because you're saying mean things like, I should snap out of this, nobody else struggles like this, I'm pathetic, I'm weak, everyone's going to laugh at me, no one wants me around, I'm such a dampener to my family, I'm such a burden, any of those mean things. And then you believe that self-talk is true. And when we believe it, it becomes so painful. So imagine if you were walking around and there was actually somebody behind you saying this stuff to you all day long. How would you feel at the end of the day? You'd feel awful. You'd feel sad. You'd feel anxious. So what we land up doing is we just avoid everything and anything because we're believing this bully that's just talking in the back of our heads, which is the anxiety and your inner critic. And so we avoid. We avoid going out. We avoid talking to people. We avoid reaching out. And avoidance is anxiety's best, best friend. Everyone who has anxiety avoids something. We think, and it goes back to that rewards-based system, we think that avoiding it is bringing us relief because now we don't have to feel anxious in that moment. But I want you to consider what is the underlying implied message of avoidance. It's confirming to your anxiety that that thing is unsafe and you cannot cope. Therefore, don't do it. When you say, oh yeah, I'm not going, you're saying, yes, I can't cope. When you say, yes, I'm not going to do this thing, you're saying, yes, I don't have what it takes. When you don't go, when you agree to the avoidance, then you're saying, yes, anxiety is dangerous. Yes, that situation is dangerous. Yes, I am a burden. Yes, I can't cope. But the thing is, and this is really important, particularly for those with shameful submission, you have already been through so much. You have already coped with so many difficult things that you already have all of the evidence to prove that you do actually have what it takes to cope 
and to do hard things. I understand that you may not be thriving. You may not be living the life of your dreams. You may not be feeling particularly proud of your accomplishments right now. But the fact of the matter is, you are here and you are showing up, which tells me that you are coping. So you already have that evidence. The avoidance and everything else that you're telling yourself and anxiety is telling you is a lie and it's confirming the lie for you. So with those of us with shameful submission and anyone else that this resonates with, your first task here is to start coming at yourself with a bit more self-compassion. We don't need to believe those lies. We don't need to step out there and start doing exposures and, and all sorts of crazy things. That's not yet. We first have to say, you know what, I'm okay. I am actually doing okay. Think about the feeling when you say, I'm doing okay, I'm coping, versus I'm weak, this is pathetic, why can't I snap out of this? The feeling that is generated by those two different thoughts is so different. So if we can just move to the space that goes, I'm actually okay, if we can just start to have that self-compassion talk going, we're going to begin shifting the response to anxiety. Now for all of you, I want you to imagine, just for a second, I want you to imagine that your anxiety comes up and immediately you're able to just say, I'm anxious. Okay, I know what this is. I'm anxious. And you feel confident to know that this thing, it's not going to make you crazy, lose control, it's not going to kill you or harm you. You have everything that you need and everything that it takes to be able to be with that and to deal with it. And as a result, you continue to do the things that you want to do, the things that you've signed up for today, the things that you have planned, you just go ahead and do them. And as the day goes by, you suddenly realize, just like that construction in the background, it stopped. They've gone home for lunch. And you didn't even realize that it had quietened down because you were so busy focusing on all these other things that mean something to you that you didn't even realize that the construction next door had stopped. But it's gone. And you get to the end of your day and you think, well, well, that was great. Not only did I get everything done that I wanted to, not only did I choose what I do, but also I showed myself that I can be with anxiety. Your anxiety is only loud when you pay attention to it, but when you continue going with your day with empowered acceptance, it subsides and you can get out of the other end of the day building confidence and feeling better about yourself. That is the art of empowered acceptance response. Now I've given you the tools to begin thinking about how to change your response. You know where you're at. Now given your response type, you now know where you want to start focusing some attention. What is it that you need to start practicing? I want you to just focus on your particular response type and the thing that you're going to start doing to start changing that response. Just start practicing for you that are focusing on symptoms, putting it down, not distracting, but just putting it down where you can sort of be aware of it, but it's not the focus of your attention. That's all you need to do. For those of you with nervous control, just start practicing the mantra, it is what it is, I'm going to let it be. It is what it is, I'm going to let it be. Stop trying to do so much. For shameful submission, we're just going to have more self-compassion. I am coping. I'm doing the best that I can. I am okay. I am not that bad.
So those are the three main steps that each response type can take depending on where you're at. Now, you might find that even once you begin to do this, there is still a level of fear about the anxiety or anxiety about the anxiety. Now, I want you to know that that's completely normal. In fact, my work as a psychologist and anxiety coach with people across the world struggling with stuck anxiety has revealed that there are these three main blocking beliefs, we can call them, that actually keep our fear of anxiety firmly in place. Now, you might believe one or more of these beliefs. The first one is that anxiety can somehow harm you or even kill you. The second belief is that anxiety can render you useless. It can make you collapse or pass out or can stop you from functioning somehow. Or number three, that anxiety can make you go crazy. In other words, you could become psychotic. Now you can imagine if you believe any one of these three beliefs, then you're going to think that anxiety is dangerous and you're going to stay in a fear response towards that anxiety. Don't worry, not all is lost. In our next episode, we're going to look at the complete ingredients required to move toward empowered acceptance. Because once you are in the empowered acceptance response type, these fears or beliefs no longer feature and you understand anxiety well enough to know that none of that is possible. I can't wait to hang out with you next week when we deal with part four of our anxiety reset. So that wraps up today's episode and I have a huge favor to ask. If you found any value in what you heard today, please be sure to leave a review. I assure you it is not to stroke my ego, although it does help me to know that you love the show, but to help the algorithms get this episode into the hands of others who might need it. Make sure you follow the Ease Anxiety podcast so that you never miss a future episode. And lastly, I really love to connect. So find me on TikTok or Instagram and be sure to say hi. All the links are found below in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in.